Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Clap along if you feel. Because I'm happy, 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 happy. Welcome to Back from the Brink. I am Todd Brinker, and Aaron will be joining us shortly. Shortly? <clears throat> shortly. Aaron will be joining us shortly. Uh, so, happy Monday. We are now on Monday the 8th of June. The year is flying by, and oh, what a year it has been, right? We started with a uh, presidential impeachment. Uh, then we have had, let's see, what have we had? 17 year locusts are on the East Coast. There's been flooding and dams breaking in Michigan. We've had COVID 19 lockdown for several months. And now we have riots in the streets over the the killing of George Floyd in the street by police officers. Um, what a six months it's been. It's been uh, really, really unbelievable. If somebody had told us on January 1 that this is what we were looking at, we would have probably laughed at them. Um, and yet, here it is. And so we move forward. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, as we move into the fall... We have a presidential election coming up, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, CNN has uh, put out information on a poll that they just put out saying that Trump is losing ground to Biden amid chaotic week. And, you know, I have my doubts about polls. Not that necessarily Biden is gaining ground or Trump is losing ground or that, you know, but I feel like. Historically, if you look at the polls around Mr. Trump when he was first running for president, they all said that he had no chance, that he was not polling well. The people who vote for him do not respond to polls. And so I think that you need to take each poll very, very much with a grain of salt and find out what's happening. The only way that anybody is going to respond, a Trump supporter or the majority of Trump supporters are going to respond to polls is if you tell them that you are with Fox News, who they perceive as not being biased. And if they see that it's a CNN or a Gallup or a you know an NBC poll, they're just going to go, well, I'm not even talking to you guys. And, uh, and even then, even if it's a Fox one, they're probably going to go, I don't do polls. It's just, you know, and there are people out there who do that. Hey, here's Erin. So let's talk to her. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Woo-woo. On so, this very, very windy Monday. Ah, windy where you are, huh? Very. And, and you know, if it's windy, so I'm in Redlands at the moment, and if it's windy in Redlands, like really windy, then the northern end of San Bernardino and Rialto uh, in Fontana must be like gale, gale force, force yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking is, you know, I have been out there at Cal State San Bernardino when the wind comes gusting down the trail into the the winds come whipping down the trail, yes. and the skies are blue, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and things fly away. Let me tell you, that's if you want something to be yours and you want to keep it, nail it down or put it away. Do not let it be out because I don't care how big and heavy it is, the wind will blow it away. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it won't pick up your car, but it'll pick up pretty much everything else. Yeah, but it'll about tear the door off your car if it's facing the wrong way when you open the car door. So be careful opening doors. Uh, yeah, there's some 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 mighty powerful wind out there. So, um, 
So this weekend in the world of sports, there's been lots of conversation about the NBA restarting. They're talking about um, uh, starting it up at the beginning of July. And what they're saying is that they will play eight regular season games. And then whatever the remaining standings are at that point, those people will then go into the playoffs. And they're only inviting 22 teams. The teams that didn't have a chance of making it to the playoffs aren't even going to play. And they're all going to gather at Disney World where they have a big auditorium and multiple basketball courts. And they will basically isolate all the players, coaches, and support team and not um, have any fans. They'll just play games against each other. And so if you are if you are an owner of a team that is not is not one of the 20 so Mm -hmm. you know that you're not not expected to be able to to get to the playoffs i mean how would they know well um some of them are are mathematically it's impossible even if they won all eight remaining games that they're going to play they won't have you know if, if your team is was eight and 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 you know 40 going into this um, you're not going to make oh, it. <laughs> have they played that many games? When they, yes. I didn't, yeah, okay. I didn't realize they played that many before yeah. they shut down. Yeah, they were already past the halfway mark. Um, they had already had the All-Star game, and uh, they were about 20, mid-20 games left. I mean, different teams had different amount of games left based on where they were in their schedule. But um, there was, you know, 20 or so games, give, give or take, and they're going to end up playing eight and they're only inviting the top 22 teams. And these teams are all teams that have a mathematical opportunity to get to the playoffs. Now, some of them would have to win all eight games and have some of the other teams lose. And so it's very slim, but they still have a shot at it. And if you have a shot at it, they're going to let you play, basically. So oh, cool. That's, uh, so, okay, that makes sense. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, you know, and I there's money to be made. I, I think that that the, the the viewing public is so sports starved. Tobin was watching a 2012 golf match yesterday. Yeah. You know, I have. Uh, they're, they're now doing it on um, on Sundays and Wednesdays. The Supercross races are on, and they're doing that. They're basically having each of their riders and their teams sort of isolate themselves and they're all at one track in utah and every time they come in they've reconfigured the track so it's it's a different setup each time they race but they're all staying in the one place and they're racing uh in in one location every two every three or four days and they're finishing out their season that way and so you can watch live supercross sports on sunday and wednesday afternoon and evenings and uh but there's no nobody in the stands and when they interview them uh afterwards there's one person interviewing and they're standing about 10 feet away and you know they uh wipe down the microphone in between interviews and um after the races but at least it's live racing and uh you know for the most part the guys they're all wearing helmets and face coverings and stuff anyway so it's not like they're bumping up against each other they do have to you know kind of sit on their bikes right next to each other for a few minutes before they start the races um, but so far, that seems to be going okay. Yeah, you know, we stand fairly close to each other in the grocery store, too. So, yeah, you know. exactly. And I went to church yesterday. Um, Ooh, live real church? Live real church. Now, they had, they, they there used to be one 
service and people sat close to each other. Now they are doing two services and they have little tables. So it looks like a cafe inside. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and there's distance between the tables. So they assume that you're sitting with people with whom you live. Um, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it was great just being around people and feeling um, connected and worshiping communally. And it was great. It was really great. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're trying to get back to some sense of normal. Um, you know. Human beings are designed to be connected to one another. Human beings are designed to be um, around other human beings. We are we are we are, are social. Social animals. We really are. And even introverts, you know, there's a, there's a limit to the isolation before people start getting depressed. And um you know, my, my extrovert husband has been struggling with this. Yeah. Because it's been three months. Yeah, it really has. It's been a while. And, you know, um, they're, they're still recommending that you stay locked down as much as you can. But uh, but I think that everybody is realizing that, that you know, complete lockdown is just not, uh, not something that, that's healthy for everybody. And I got to say, I'm that it's necessary anymore um, even if the virus rears its ugly head again because we know better we know how it's transmitted we know um, uh, you know kind of how to treat it a little better we, we know its behavior we know that it's not anywhere near as deadly as we feared it was you know when we shut things down in the beginning of March uh, we didn't know we thought right. we don't want a 1918 on our hands and the whole world was looking at Italy who you know, their set of circumstances was the worst case scenario. Um, but that doesn't mean that everywhere is that worst case scenario. So mm-hmm. I don't know that we should shut down again. You know, wash your hands, maybe stand a little farther apart, wear a mask. Okay, that's fine. Um, so at church yesterday, when I was singing, I wore the mask because, mm-hmm. you know, you project, right? And so I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear the mask to maybe slow some spread of any germs I may have. Um, and then as soon as we were just sitting at the table, I took the mask off because, you know, at that point I'm just breathing like a normal person. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I think that, that there are ways that we can continue to live and interact and be around one another um, and with, you know, without infecting everybody getting infected or all of the people who should be locked down are the people who are over 80 years old or have an underlying condition, fine, lock them down. But the rest of us shouldn't be locked down. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, if you have some some um, concerns about health, um, then, yeah, you should, you should take action. The other thing is, though, and this is where I think we're going to run into some problems, we're going to see how this works out, is, you know, there are those who are are uh, I mean even when or even down during the the, the part of the, the the tightest parts of the lockdown there were people who were sort of blatantly ignoring that and so if you have somebody who is you know socially behaving I mean at the grocery store you know somebody coughing and not covering their mouth that's that's a more offensive act than it used to be considered right used to be that was like boy that's kind of gross and now it's like how dare you right and I wonder if we're gonna see you know, people getting angry and and uh and physical because of that well we already have yeah um, you know I, I, but i just I, think you know is, as we open up it's going to be more prominent oh 
I agree with you 100%. Uh, a lot of businesses, they say they want you to wear a mask, so you can't win without it. Okay, right. that's fine. You know, I, I'll, I'll put it on. No big deal. I got one in my purse. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a violation of my rights to ask me to put a mask on. Do I think people should be arrested for it? No, especially when they've emptied out the jails. Yeah, but you can um, you can certainly deny service if you if you run a business. You you have every right to say, this is the requirement to come into my location. Yes. You know? And if you don't want to yes. do that, then go somewhere else to buy your groceries or, or whatever it is you're going to do. Yeah, so. use Instacart and get them at home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think they should open campgrounds. I think that outdoor spaces should all be open back up again, um, you know, because... They're outdoors. You got the sunlight, and it just doesn't make sense to me that that would still be locked down. But I know that they are. For the moment, the state parks are still, the campgrounds are still locked down. And, um, uh, yeah, I just uh, I just think that it's time to open up. It's time to be, to live again. It, it, people go crazy when you keep them locked up. Yeah, especially as the weather gets hotter. Have you seen the Spike Lee film? I think it was from the 80s called Do the Right Thing. Oh, yeah. So that whole movie was about, you know, it was was essentially one day on a really hot summer and how people acted because, you know, they they there was nowhere to be cool. And so they uh, they acted out several of them and everybody was Mm -hmm. on edge. And it's kind of, you know, this is their experience. I, and I think that's true that people will act out when they're when they're cooped up and uncomfortable and they can't go anywhere. And, you know, I think that we're seeing this worldwide. I think part of people's reaction to George Floyd was um, the fact that they have been so cooped up and they're on edge anyway. Not that the not that the protest shouldn't have happened. Looting shouldn't have happened, but not that the protest shouldn't have happened. But I think that that that's why yeah. the timing was right for this particular incident. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, you know, it has been building and building and building as we, you know, each month or each couple of weeks we, we have in the news, again, thanks to people having their cameras in their phones, you know, video of another uh, person of color being uh, attacked in the street, doing nothing. Um, you know, or in this case, you know, they, they, okay, maybe he was a suspect, but he certainly was treated in a, inappropriately. Uh, even if he was a suspect, there's just there's no excuse for the way George Floyd was killed. None. No. And, no. He's, uh, he has a right to due process, just like the rest of us. Yeah. And uh, but I think you're absolutely right. I think that just you know was adding fuel to the flame by having people cooped up for a long period of time. Um. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a weird, so, weird year so far. It uh, has. And it ain't over yet because we got an election coming up in November and it's going to continue to get weird, weird, weird. There's a CNN poll saying that Biden has gotten more support than Hillary Clinton ever had at this point um, and uh, that they have him moving away from Trump. Um, I have my doubts about any, um, well, especially CNN, because I can just see a whole bunch of Trump supporters. If they see it's a CNN poll, they're going to go, I ain't talking to you. but uh, I don't think that Trump supporters tend to respond to polls at all. I mean, from the early early on when he was started running for president back in 2015 um, during the primaries, he he polled terribly, and the people who were supporting him just don't 
either they're they're not getting asked or they refuse to respond because he has never polled strongly. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. So I don't know if I, uh, I trust the CNN poll. I, I'm, I'm worried that both parties have come out and said essentially that if the other party wins, it will be illegitimate. Yeah. Um, that that's bothers and scares me because, um, you know, people listen to that and they're going to think that whoever the, the side that didn't win is going to think that it was, they were robbed and they're going to act out, especially if they were in lockdown again. Um, uh, you know, because this will be November and people say that, that the coronavirus is, is, um, on the way out at the moment. There's, we have fewer mm-hmm. cases or they were, it was slowing down. I don't know. It'll depend after all of this, if we have a whole bunch more cases from the people being out and about, but, um, uh, I, I worry, I worry about civil unrest in, uh, on November 4th. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do too. I, I seriously am concerned about what that, um, what that really means. Um, you know, and how people are going to react to it because, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity for people to behave badly. And, you know, and what do you do if you really believe that the country is being railroaded by an illegitimate election, you know? Well, shame on the politicians who have, uh, who have been (laughs) fanning that flame, stoking that fires. I mean, the one thing that set our Republic apart from uh, failed republics all over the world is that we have the peaceful transfer of power. And if we lose that, you know, even people have been upset by outcomes of elections since there've been elections, right? Your guy doesn't win. You're not going to be happy about it. Yeah. Bush v. Gore. I mean, holy moly. But, but Al Gore did the right thing. And he said, and he conceded when it was all done, he, he conceded and Mm -hmm. uh, realizing that that's what the country needed at that point. And, um, uh, that was the right thing to do. He was being a good American when he did that. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm afraid for people who don't understand our constitution. They didn't pay attention in civics class and they never took another class and they're ignorant about how um, our country was formed and why it was formed. They think that it was formed because they've been told over and over again that the, it was formed simply to oppress people. And that's not true. That didn't happen. Um, you know, they, they call this the whole 1619 project, uh, blames the U S for slavery in 1619. Well, the U S didn't become the U S until really 1789 because we had to fight the revolutionary war. We had Mm -hmm. declaration of independence was 1776, but in 1619, we were, it was part of great Britain. We were Mm -hmm. part of great Britain. So, you know, great Britain also had slavery at that time. It doesn't anymore. Just yeah. like we well, don't I mean, anymore. It, it wasn't until I think about our eighth president that we had a president, eighth or ninth president, that we had a president that hadn't been born a British citizen. Yes. So, so you know. yeah. Uh, now, does that does that dismiss all of the pain and suffering and racism and Jim Crow and all the stuff? No, it doesn't. Not at all. But that wasn't the reason the country was founded. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that. COVID deaths, by the way, right now, according to the Johns Hopkins dashboard for COVID tracking in the United States, are at 110,514. Okay. Just to kind well, of jump back, because just to say where we were at, because I remember uh, about a week and a half ago, we were just creeping up on 100,000. So, 
the um, you know I, the the rate of increase I think has slowed a little bit, but it is still climbing. Yeah. You know? So, and total confirmed cases are just below two million right now. Wow. Yeah. And again, well, those are confirmed cases. So that's people who have gotten tested. Yeah, and I'm sure there are a whole lot more. I mean, for all I know, you and I could both have, have um, been exposed and, and had it already. You know, I've talked about how I think I might have had it in December, but I don't know. It could have been influenza yeah. A. It was a really, really, really nasty cold, flu. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, yeah. And the thing is, you just don't know unless you've t been tested for the antibodies. And yeah. So you just don't know. Um, I think the the plan is is that if you end up going into your doctor for just about anything, they're going to see if they can test you for antibodies just to find out more about the spread and the, and the, the breadth of infection. Um, but I think, you know, it's obviously still optional. So, well, I don't think my doctor is seeing patients, live patients. I think really? my doctor is just seeing telepatients at the moment. Yeah. I know a lot of doctors are doing that and some are doing a mix of, you know, certain things, you know, you contact the doctor and then they will tell you whether they want you to come in or whether they want you to uh, stay at home and drink lots of fluids, that kind of thing, depending on what it is. So I have a Joe Exotic story. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe Exotic wants out of prison fast. Apparently he wrote a letter to his fans. This is according to TMZ. They always get this stuff first. Um, he said, I'll be dead in two to three months if he doesn't get out of prison. So Exotic's real name is Joseph Maldonado Passage. And he says his health troubles are mounting behind bars. And the 57-year-old likens his 20-year sentence to being on death row. He makes a plea to fans to push President Trump to issue a pardon. Oh, my God. And he also reaches out to Kim Kardashian and Cardi B to take up his cause. Please, ladies, I've done nothing wrong. Exotic was convicted of playing, of paying someone to kill Carol Baskin. Um, apparently, the hit never took place. Uh, in the letter, Exotic also seems to complain about husband Dylan Passage saying, the 24-year-old never writes. I don't even know if I'm married anymore. Um, <laughs> He passage, of course, um, Dylan passage says the only thing that's keeping us going is really just hoping for the best. And, and these lawyers seem to seem like they have a real good plan to kind of get things executed. So mm -hmm. Pat, um, he adds that he doesn't speak to exotic much because his husband doesn't have many phone privileges. I mean, he's holding up. So, yeah, he's having a hard time with prison. Imagine that he's having a hard time in prison. Yeah, and in, in exactly, and uh, he can't. You know, I'm sure. The, the man is a meth head, right? I mean, I think they all used crystal meth, and he, I'm not getting crystal meth in prison. Um, or if he is getting it, he's not getting enough, uh, I'm sure, to make his life manageable in prison. So I don't feel sorry for him. He's, he was, he's in there for the hit, but he's also in there for, um, the, for killing tigers. Um, yeah. Because he, you know, he'd breed all these tigers, he wouldn't know what to do with them, and then he'd kill them off. Yeah. Which you can't do. Yeah. You cannot well, do that. And realize... Watching a documentary is not the same as evidence being presented in a court case. The documentary is an entertainment medium, and so they change the stories around or they present parts of interviews in order to help a narrative within the documentary to provide a point of view uh, and, a, and a narrative. And so, you know, what you saw there is not necessarily the reality of how things happened. And, you know, they try to get to that in a court case. So and and the, and the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, it, when he apparently at, tried to 
to buy the hit on Carol Bascom. Um, I think it was like $2,000 or something. So it, was, it was some ridiculously small amount of money that, I mean, I, obviously I've never gone hunting for a, a hitman, but it just seemed to me like, really, that's, that's, that's silly. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just silly. Uh, but the killing of the tigers things was clearly something that was, he was doing. Um, and that in itself is illegal. And he, and he, you know, got convicted of that as well. Um, I think that you know a good lawyer pro- probably could go back and get the the hit thing turned to, overturned because I don't think anybody could reasonably expect that. I mean, he he Expe- claims except that he asked apparently he asked a federal agent to do it. So he so, asked the one guy, but he also he said this to a federal agent. Oh, okay. so that's See, why I, it I was don't a recall that dunk. it's been a while from there since, since I saw that. I thought that that he was. He was said he was because the guy that he got the way it was presented in the in the documentary was that he asked like the buddy of um, the guy who ended up owning the the zoo Jeff Lowe yeah Jeff he did Lowe. he, he did. asked the buddy of Jeff Lowe and that guy he said he was just paying the guy to go do this other thing and the, and you know and that guy was as shady as shady gets too so oh yeah uh, you know he apparently I mean, said it to a lot of people that, yeah that's part of the problem and yeah all the videos exactly. Of him, Burnt, shooting, burning, drowning, all the things he did to Carol Baskin in effigy. I mean, it's like, dude, yeah. everybody in the world knows you wanted her dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you shot videos of you talking about how she should be dead. You know, I mean, frankly, that, that you know, if somebody were to have taken some action, uh, you know, you would have been, you know, probably convicted for the incitement to violence. So, exactly. yeah, I mean, this guy's just... <laughs> Got a screw loose every which way, but um, yeah. yeah. Under wackadoodle in the in the uh, uh, dictionaries, a picture exactly. of his face. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I found some information on what um, defund the police. What does that mean exactly? So there are different very there are different definitions. But the, mo- the com- most common one centers on redirecting some of the money that goes to police departments and putting them in social programs um, and marginalized mm. communities. The police departments wouldn't be dissolved, but cities would fundamentally rethink what officers are asked to do. Um, so apparently this used to be more of a thought bubble around activists and academics on the left, but it's been going mainstream in m- recent years, and the Floyd case has has really brought that to the forefront. The city of Minneapolis, for example, is taking steps to disband its department. The New York City uh, is cutting the NYPD budget. Um, uh, Still, the meaning of defund the police is on a spectrum. So apparently there was a 2017 book called The End of Policing by sociology professor Alex Vitale of Brooklyn College. Have you heard of this book? I have not. I have not. Um, You know, but I mean, I obviously... I mean, the idea that you know, defund the police is going to mean different things in different areas, or I shouldn't say mean different things, but it'll be executed differently depending on how um, the the uh, officials in each area feel like they need to make changes, you know? Yes. I mean, the idea of disbanding the police department seems pretty radical. Yes. But what he's saying is that there still would be police, but the outcome how they would manage things would be different according to his book. So mm-hmm. he says that most burglaries are driven by drug use, for example. So better bug drug treatment programs could help ease that. The problem with, and I'm all for rehab, 
but the but the but the addict has to want it. Otherwise, you're spending a lot of money, and he's going to go out and use as soon as he gets out anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, mandated um, rehab while in prison doesn't tend to work, or so or under yeah. if not prison, you know, um, halfway homes and and you know home arrest type of things. Um, like you said, it's got to be driven by the individual who said they've had enough. There are certainly um, examples of a more restorative approach to, to criminal justice around the world. So uh, Portugal has has done this. Of course, Portugal is a much smaller country, um, but uh, I know that they have had a more restorative approach, especially to drug crimes. You know, I mean, if somebody is a violent rapist and murderer, put them away forever. Um, but you know, if somebody is 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 acting out because of mental illness or because of um, they're addicted and not in their right minds, um, you know, I'm I'm not opposed to restorative uh, measures. Having said that, there have to be consequences, right? So, so that the that the addict makes a choice about what it is they want, mm-hmm. um, and and then you then you respond accordingly. You know, I have no problem saying to the addict, "You've got two choices: you can go to jail or you can go to rehab." And rehab is going to be this, that, or whatever long. And if you leave rehab, you go to jail. Um, I have no problem with that. That's fine. Um, because then the addict is making a choice. Um, uh, but it's saying to an addict that you have to go to rehab and that's your only choice is a recipe for failure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. I think that... Um... Uh, you know, we need to look at better ways of dealing with the not only the the drug addicted, but how the crimes that they commit in order to feed their addiction are handled. And, you know, and that's a big chunk of of our crimes. I mean, it's not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a whole swath of and, and a lot, you know, I mean, a lot of those crimes are the ones that are disproportionately um, uh, acted upon legally against the uh, people of color. You know, yep. it's it's um, much more likely that a, an addict uh, from a poor neighborhood and a person of color is going to end up in prison than a white person. Uh, with the same addiction, behaving the same way, you know, not that there aren't white people there as well, but it's just, it's, you know, availability of, of, uh, you know, better, um, defense attorneys and, uh, and biases of the court system. I know that there has been a push in, in community development circles to, to, change the number of people in prison in, in a much earlier stage, right? So, um, and that's part of the motivation of the program that I run, the kids program, realizing that childhood trauma, especially in those formative first five years, um, they, they, they determine how the brain is wired, how the child grows up to react to the world and see him or herself in it. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you, if you poll the people who are in prison, it's like 99% of them had rough childhoods, right? Some of them are sociopaths and I made up that 99. It's probably in the 90% range. Um, uh, but you know, some of them had horrific childhoods in and out of foster care addicts and, and there was abuse and all this other stuff going on. Um, and so if you, if you, if you focus your attention as a community on making sure that, 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 um, 
are doing the best you can to ensure that kids have the best um, upbringing they possibly can, they're less likely to find themselves in prison. Um, because a lot of people, a lot of prisoners are there because they felt like they had no choice in, you know, making bad decisions because everybody around them was making bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, your perception and, and, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes the reality is, is your choice is between bad and worse. Yeah, exactly. And you do what you have to do in your neighborhood to survive. So, and I'm not making excuses. I'm just explaining that these things don't happen in a vacuum. I still don't yeah. know that I that I think that defunding the police is a good idea. Um, maybe changing the way that we police. Maybe changing the way that they're that they're um, uh, trained. Maybe you pull more police from the social work, uh, yeah. from social work and sociology majors instead of criminal justice majors. Maybe you um, maybe you just we rethink policing. Policing has been heavily militarized um, in the last 20 years, and maybe that was the wrong approach. Um, you know, because we're not and our the people are not enemy combatants; they're citizens of the United States or residents of the United States. Yeah, yeah. The um, you know, I think that that defunding is like you said. I, I agree. I think that defunding is probably not the solution. I think it's redirecting. And so, you know, we need to work and uh, and work with the communities that are being um, unfairly policed to talk to them about ideas that they think would help. You know, um, I'm a firm believer in in, you know, you, you don't behave badly or treat people badly that, you know. And so you need to know those areas better. You know, um, I know there are places where they went back to like foot patrols and that's not necessarily going to work everywhere. But, uh, you know, if you know the people in the neighborhood it's you're you're going to treat them like human beings because you know who they are right um you know their family you yeah. know their their block you know their neighbors yeah you know i mean sometimes it's like hey you know with with kids especially you know you catch them early it's it's not so much uh i'm going to arrest you it's i'm going to take you home and i'm going to stand you up in front of your mom and your dad and you're going to have to tell them what you just did you know and sometimes that's the best best punishment you can give a kid is to, to make them own up uh, in front of their parents. You know, granted, there are some parents who are not good parents, but, you know, if you knew the neighborhood and you knew the parents, you'd know where which kids you could do that with and which kids aren't going to work. Yep. So um, I want to try to talk about something a little bit on the positive side. Uh, Go for it. Uh, as we, you know, kind of come towards the end of our time. Um, I found some statistics talking about a decline in chronic homelessness in most states in the United States. Seriously, um, yeah, That's we've great. seen drops in West Virginia. There's been an 86 percent drop in chronic homelessness uh, over what period of time? Does it say? Uh, uh, unfortunately, California doesn't uh, show that information. So let's see. Um, let's see if I can find some timing here. Reading through because I'm looking at an infographic is what I'm pulling it from. This is 2007 to 2019. So over um, 12 years. So over the 12 years, we've seen a drop in chronic homelessness in uh, uh, the, the biggest states, uh, West Virginia, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, Nebraska, uh, Texas, Arizona, Utah. All of those states have seen a drop in chronic homelessness. 
That's excellent. Yeah. Unfortunately, states that still need to need work, Washington, Oregon, and California and Hawaii, the whole West Coast, uh, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, sort of the central West, uh, Kansas and Oklahoma need work, as do Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and South Carolina. But uh, huh. so there's some, some, and Maine, Maine has not seen a drop. But uh, total chronic homeless population in the United States was hit at 120,000 people in 2007. And, you know, um, when they do these, uh, they do uh, occasional walk-arounds and do head counts, and that's sort of how they yeah, get a feel for these things. Count. Right. And in 2019, that number was at 74,000, a drop of 38% in 12 years. Um, now, what I would be interested in, in seeing would be what have we done that made that change. Right. You know? It makes sense that in the sunnier states that there'd be heavier numbers of homeless, but Washington and Oregon are not warm. No. So, uh, well, you know, I mean, they're beautiful, but they're not warm. Yeah. Well, they did not see a drop. Washington and Oregon were two of the states that did not see a drop. Exactly. Exactly. So oh, that doesn't so, follow that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Michigan. Michigan saw one of the largest drops. They're not exactly warm and sunny, and neither is New Hampshire. Um, and they were, you know, 65 in Michigan and 41% drop in, in New Hampshire. So, um you know, I mean, those are big drops. West Virginia, 86%. Ohio, 62%. Those are big drops in, you know, in, in over a decade of, of homelessness. I guess my point so. is I can see that maybe some people would be moving south. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. But you're right. Where and it's you, warm. But you look at this, uh, this and the, the, the map that's kind of laid out here, and it's not like the south is seeing uh, growth in, in homelessness. It's just seeing... Um, you know, because the the drop seems to be kind of more in the north central U.S. and the and the, and the north south north south the the central south south central north and south central U.S. more than anywhere else, which is interesting. From like Michigan down to Alabama, Mississippi. I wonder what their policies were. Were yeah. they more law and order? Were they more? Um, find everybody housing? Were they? You know, what did they have more social workers coming in? Did they try to? You know, mm -hmm. was it because our unemployment rate? What is it? Yeah, I would be very interested to see it, what, if we could find a causality. You need an economist to really get into this and say, what is the, um, what were the changes that had uh, actual effect, change in this effect? And um, I'll dig around and see if maybe next time we talk we can get a little bit more information about why that is. Because to me, that's a great number. I love to see that homelessness is, is going down over the last decade. Um, but, I, yeah, I would like to know why and what are they doing that's working. Say, why are you getting 86% drop in West Virginia and 60% in Ohio and Michigan and Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee? You know, why are they getting these big drops? Um, you know, and it's funny because those are the, you know, some of those are the states like West Virginia, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama. You know, those are the ones that, that are always caricatured as being sort of the, you know, the, country bumpkins and, and, and how, you know, but they're obviously doing something right. And, 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 you know, those caricatures are not fair by any stretch. Um, and so what are they doing? Because they're doing something socially correct here. Well, and I got to tell you, there's certain, I, and I, I haven't, I can't speak to Alabama or Mississippi because I haven't been there um, recently, but the Carolinas are doing great in Georgia in certain areas seems to be doing, seems to be doing well. There's still, you know, rural, rural areas mm -hmm. that are, kind of untouched by modernity, but, um, uh, you know, as far as the state is concerned, they seem to be doing well. So yeah. the South is not, 
you know, it's not what you were thinking. It's not 1963 uh, anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Lil Abner anymore. Uh, not that it ever really was. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of cool to see that we're actually seeing something is happening that's good in this world. And so yay to uh, those that are finding people homes and getting them off the streets. And uh, let's let's hope that the other states that are, are not seeing drops uh, find out what to do. And it's not that they're all just taking them from West Virginia and putting on a bus to California. So California's numbers. Which go up. they might be. Yeah. They might be. We yeah. don't know. We don't know. And that's why I said, yeah, let's hope that that's not the case. And that's how they're pumping up their numbers is, hey, send them to sunny California and uh, and get them out of Nebraska. And we can make Nebraska's numbers look good. And California is on their own. We don't care about California. Yeah. <laughs> they grow all, all right. that food. They can feed everybody. Wild, uh, wild, wild. So we are out of time. <laughs> that we are. Thank you for joining us today on Back from the Brink. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Erin Brinker. Have a great day. <laughs>